Hey, my name is Mo Bluffblaze. I am the co-CEO of Steinberg and Associates. And what I love about beauty is that it's keeping me employed. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome to Beauty Is Your Business, and today we are buzzing about regulatory compliance and the newest regulations around MOCRA. My name is Denise Dente, and I'm your co-host for today, and I'm here with Jessica. And Jessica, you just got back from Shop Talk, so before we even dive into regulatory, we'd love to know a little bit about what you experienced at Shop Talk. Yeah, you know, it was a great experience. I definitely was really surprised at the level of production value at how well the vendors showed up ready to go with their information for everybody, whether you were in the beauty space or consumer goods space. What I found super interesting was everyone was talking AI. No surprise. You know, we've seen it everything from chat GBT to how you maximize your website for negotiated deals specific to the consumer thought that was super interesting. We had some really great meetings with up and coming brands that are really taking advantage of technology. And then of course it's shop talk, right? So it's super great to hear from huge companies. Walmart, Ulta was there, Sephora was there. Got to hear even from the CMO of McDonald's who just won most innovative company which is pretty amazing, right? It's been around for a long time. And so just thinking about how we do our business a little bit differently and constantly innovating, even if you've been around for a long time, you can still really get there. And I think what got me excited about being at Shop Talk and talking to everybody was when it comes to the beauty industry, we know that we have to comply. We have to do certain things in a certain way. And so when uh, we had the opportunity to meet with Mo, who's joining us today, um, I was really excited, Denise. So I'm looking forward to this episode. I am as well. And we're getting lots of calls about this. And I know you are as well, Mo. So let's just dive right into what it is that you do at Steinberg, as well as talking about the modernization of the cosmetic act that is coming down the pipeline and what that means to brands and so forth. So why don't you kick us off with a little bit about what it is that you do, and then we can dive right into Mocra. Sure. So Steinberg and Associates has been around for quite some time. It was founded by David Steinberg, who is a leading expert in our industry, especially in the areas of preservatives. He literally wrote the book on preservatives, which is, I think there's two volumes of it. Myself and my partner, Debbie Wake, took over the business three years ago. And now we provide services to cosmetic companies, overlooking their requirements with their ingredients, with their claims, with their just overall compliance to the market they're selling into. Great. And then let's start talking about Mocra right away. And I think one of the first things that always comes up for us when we start to get these phone calls is, does it apply to me? And so maybe that's where we can actually start. So people that do have a little bit of anxiety over some of these changes that are coming can really determine right away whether it's going to impact their brand or not. So before we get into some of the ins and outs of the 
new regulation, who does this actually apply to? It applies to all brands that sell their products into the U.S. market. And there is a little bit of an exemption for very small businesses, but that exemption definition is very narrow and most people will not meet the total requirements for it. So really impacts almost all beauty companies that have products at either retail or online. There's no distinctions between those and also in even uh, professional products that used to have a little bit more of a leeway, it's all going to be covered now under MOCRA. So nobody's exempt, really. So jump in a little bit, if you don't mind, Mo, and talk to us about what were the big changes that have come through this? What are the two to three big things that we are now seeing with this new regulation? I want to kind of preface this a little bit more, too, is, is from a regulatory standpoint, we're almost kind of cheering this on just because the fact that now we are more in line with other leading countries in the beauty market, like the EU. The EU has been doing this type of regulation for many years. So now this legislation has really put us all in line in that same category. And just, I think it will give consumers more confidence in the products that they're using in the U.S. market. Because for a long, long time now, cosmetic regulation has been kind of looked down on, especially from the U.S. perspective, because they didn't see, you know, large prohibited ingredients. They didn't see a lot of specific things that they needed to do. So this legislation really provided a little bit more oomph, a little bit more meat to what we're doing. From a regulatory perspective, it's a good thing. And then how it impacts companies, the top three things is the number one is that now cosmetic formulations, ingredients have to be registered with the FDA. Prior to MOCRA, it was a voluntary program, but now it's going to be mandatory for all cosmetic formulas to be registered to the FDA. Currently, the platform is not up and running yet. The deadline to do the registration is the end of this year. Actually, December 29th is the deadline for it. The second thing would be from a safety substantiation point. Prior to MOCRA, FDA all has this kind of umbrella requirement that manufacturers must you know, make a product that's safe and effective to consumers when used at the directions provided and such. But now they're going to provide more specific details on what that safety substantiation will look like. We're hoping that it will model what EU has been currently doing with their safety assessments, the testing to make sure the product is safe, which among the top thing that people usually do for that is the RIPT testing to eliminate or try to lower the risk of irritations and uh, possible allergic reactions to your products. And then the third thing that for uh, companies is taking adverse event reports, but that is now going to be mandatory. And also second part to that is the reporting of what is classified as serious adverse events to FDA when those come along. That's a great start. So let's talk about the reality of somebody's got a product line right now. And let's say they've got a year's worth of inventory in stock or 18 months worth of inventory in stock. And then they're planning their NPD and so forth. What is some of your best advice on how they can jump into this change 
and what are some of the top things that they need to be aware of? From a labeling perspective, you're talking? I am. Labeling, formula. So for the U.S., there has been no change as far as, and this is part of a little bit of difference from the U.S. and the EU. So the U.S. has a kind of exemption for listing of incidental ingredients. So ingredients that does not provide an effect on the final formula do not have to be listed on their ingredient list. And that hasn't changed with mocha. However, coming down the pipe is the requirement to list allergens. If you so give, you're not listing allergens currently with your formula ingredient list. That's something you, you need to look into. The caveat to that is because they have not determined which allergens to list, we don't know. Right now, EU has 26 allergens that are required to be listed on your ingredient list if you meet the threshold reporting requirements. They're looking into additional 86, I do believe, allergens that are required. So um, FDA, I do believe, have until the end of next year, 24, to determine the allergens that needs to be listed. So we don't know exactly which allergens are required, but if you don't have information from your fragrance suppliers on the allergens, on the, on the IFRA, just getting that documentation in place would be a good start. I really like that question, Denise, because I want to jump in and understand that a little bit more, Mo. So the brand themselves, as a brand, we're actually all still waiting for what the specific guidelines are going to stay. We're waiting for what the ingredients are going to be and what the allergens are going to be. And so I love that piece of advice of, hey, while we're waiting, you might as well gather all your documents from your manufacturers. And when you were going through it earlier, it sounds like a lot of this is really at the manufacturing level. The manufacturer is the one that's having to provide more reporting. Is that right or not right? Well, they have the obligation to have the information, but the responsibility is going to fall on the brand. Really good point. So the responsibility still is going to the brand to provide the correct listing on their labels to you know, doing the adverse reporting and safety substantiation. All of that is still part of the brand. And the brand is identified as the name on the product. So it's the, the brand is the responsible person, which is a little bit different than responsible person that we know of in the EU. So the responsible person, they do not have to have a physical presence here in the States to be that responsible person for under this under MOCRA. They're the brand owners. Does that make sense? It does. So if you are using a manufacturer to make and build your products, what should you be talking with them about right now? How do you sit down with them and have a conversation about your existing products and new products that might be in development. Yes, so they have to be aware of all their requirements. They're going to have to drill down to just all the, the specific ingredients and the compositions of the ingredients so they could provide all the information that you will need for getting together a safety dossier, very similar to what they're doing in the EU. So not only just providing you a formulation with just ingredients in it, they probably need to provide you with like bricks. The big example is for fragrance. In order to, to make sure that you're compliant, you have to have 
an allergic statement. You have to have an IFRA or our wonderful state of California. You also have to have an SB 312 to make sure that you don't have ingredients that's required to be listed to or reported to California. So it's very important for them to understand, especially if manufacturer is outside of the U.S., is a foreign manufacturer. That's one of the other requirements under MOCRA is all cosmetic manufacturers are now mandated to register the facilities with the FDA. Prior to, again, prior to MOCRA, that was not a requirement, but now it's, a, it's going to be mandatory. And as a foreign manufacturer, you also have to designate a U.S. agent if you do not have a presence here. Then that U.S. agent's work is to just facilitate communication from FDA to you. Wow. Okay. So that one was a lot. Let me understand. Okay. So I am a brand. I have a manufacturer outside the United States under MOGRA effective now. We know that this one is written and we understand it is that that manufacturer has to be registered here in the United States and they need a U.S. agent here in the U.S. So if I'm sitting here, I'm going to make sure as a brand that any manufacturers outside of here are doing this. And that's one of the steps I can take right now and understanding how to move forward with that current manufacturer that they're already in the process of registering with the U.S. government and having a U.S. agent. The bad thing with that is, again, the platform on the registration is not up yet, but the deadline is still the same as the formula submissions It is the end of the year. But at least get that information together, make a plan of who you're going to, if you don't have, if you're not in the U.S., who you will use as a U.S. agent. So really right now, it's all about being prepared and what most people can do, whether you're the actual manufacturer and or you have a brand, is getting prepared that while there's not the so much the opportunity to actually do all of the uploading and registration right now, it doesn't mean that you should wait in the preparation. Is that correct? That is correct. The top big things that you can do right now to kind of prepare yourself, you should have all your ingredient list. So because for the registration of the product, you do not have to provide uh, concentrations. It's just the listing of your ingredients. So just make sure you have all the information. So once the portal's up and running, you can input all that information. The second big thing is that adverse event reporting requirement. So again, this is going back a little bit for the labeling. To meet that requirement, you have to have either a domestic address, phone number, or a website. So even foreign firms, if they're not located in the U.S., but they have a website, that serves the purpose. It meets that requirement. But what they need to do is within their website, have it clearly designated to report an adverse event, you know, go through this link and then compile the template of some sort that meets all the MOPRA requirements so people can just fill in the fields there. Also, if those forms are going to someone's email or even if it's whatever account that they're going to, make sure someone is looking into it frequently on a regular basis. So just to pull that information, because if it is a serious adverse event, you have 15 days to report it to the FDA. It is time sensitive. That's really interesting, Mo. From your experience, do you feel that brands, especially if they're a little bit smaller, 
Are they better off assigning somebody internal to keep an eye on this, to keep checking these sites and so forth? Or is this something where having an outside agent would actually be really beneficial because they'll be able to send updates? How can a brand manage the evolving and constant need for information? That's a good question because it really depends on the quality of the personnel you're working with or that's on staff. If someone does not have that bandwidth to kind of digest that information and to do the reports in that timely manner, then certainly go outside because these are critical reports that FDA is looking for. So one of the things that you mentioned was having a place on your website. This is another kind of preparation piece, it sounds like, that can happen right now is making it very visible, most likely on your website, where people can do that reporting. So that's another thing that people could do right now is start that piece. And just a little plug for us, we are developing a template for adverse event reporting. And when that is um, available, we will send out notes to our current clients and for anyone that's listening, if they are interested in you know getting that information, they can contact me directly at mo at steinbergassociates.com. So it's just M-O at Steinberg and Associates spelled out dot com. Well, and you also offer when you kind of become part of your program an ongoing email. And I know that we have the opportunity to work with you from time to time on different brands and we get those regular updates and emails. And those are really, really great pieces of information to keep up to date on what's happening. So you have been a really, really wonderful resource for the industry. So thank you for giving that out. I do hope people will take advantage of reaching out to you. Yep. Our e-blast is the best way for us to kind of keep our clients posted on the most recent happenings of things because it's a dynamic area. That's my big takeaway from this conversation so far is it's still in the works. There's still things that we're waiting on information for and platforms to be able to actually do what we need to. So we have to be constantly diligent on keeping up with where things are. And then because the brand is responsible, making sure that we're following those guidelines correctly. You are absolutely right. I would love to pivot a little bit into California regulations. This is another one. Mocha obviously is big, but for a long time, California has had their own set of requirements. Can you walk us through a little bit about how Mocha affects California or should brands be looking at California and meeting California and they'll also be able to meet Mocha? Can you walk us through a little bit of that? Yes. Unfortunately, Mocha did not preempt anything that California is currently doing as far as ingredients are concerned. Mocha does preempt like having to do product registrations separately in different states and things like that. But from an ingredient standpoint, which most of the California laws cover, it does not preempt it. So no, the big ones from California perspective is the Prop 65 warnings for uh, certain ingredients. They currently have a safe cosmetic ingredient registration that's up. And so if you have certain ingredients in your products, you have to register to the state of California, regardless if they have Prop 65 implications or not. There are some little assumptions to that, but mostly if you have, say, retinol in your product, you're required to register with California, even though you do not meet the Prop 65 warning requirement. So it's a little different. And also 
we do not have currently right now as we stand, we do not have to label allergens in our formulas for the U.S. However, for the state of California, if you have allergens that meet those labeling requirements, you have to report to them. So it's quite challenging at times for small businesses. And, you know, these are just the ingredients requirements that the big on the our list of to-dos for California. And the other thing would be CARB, the VOC regulations that is very strict in California as well, which MOCRA doesn't do anything for that one as well. You've mentioned, Mo, a couple of times about the new regulations coming to effect in the U.S. are more similar to what is happening in the EU. And we've talked about this many times about EU and the regulations that are there. I'm curious about your opinion on, do you see the U.S. evolving even from MOCRA to becoming more and more like the EU? Or do you think that there will still be some gap between the two? I think they're moving closer together. But right now with MOCRA and the requirements that they're setting out is very much in line with what the EU is currently doing. And I think from a regulatory standpoint, MOCRA has already stated other things that EU doesn't cover so far. And that's for example, the GMP requirements for cosmetic facilities. The FDA is going to be working on a set of requirements for the, those GMPs for cosmetics, which I don't think the EU currently has. They do have ISO standards, but they're not, and if facilities are inspected, they have the ISO standards. But for the U.S., those GMP requirements, I think it's going to be very strict. They've already kind of hinted at the fact that it will be more in line with the current GMP requirements for drug facilities, but a little bit less for cosmetic companies. Understand. So one of the questions that we get frequently from clients is understanding of ingredients. And I like how you started off this conversation by saying, you know, this ingredient piece is still being fleshed out, but are there any impacts to the clean or green statements? Are there any impacts to ingredients and registration as we are defining in this industry clean beauty? Currently, they, even under MOCRA, there's no definition of clean. I know that there are many state bills that are proposed for recyclables, for green, for uh, sustainable type of ingredients. So MOCRA has not crossed those definitions. So we're kind of waiting to see what states do. But I'm hoping that because of MOCRA and the status is standing for preemption of other things, so we could be more of a united nation as how we approach these certain claims and not have every state having their own little way of interpreting things. Because right now it is a wild, wild west show with recycling and for the requirements for uh, PCR. So, and California, of course, is leading the way with that as well. And we're hoping that maybe with MOGRA and already kind of establishing the preemption of federal versus state, that they will also take those on as time goes on. You mentioned the word claims, which always perks our ears up because we spend so much time on the marketing and sales side, obviously coming up with great USPs and great ways to market and sell the product. But then you have 
claims and claim substantiation. And we know that there's quite a bit of difference at this point between maybe the U.S. and EU. And since you mentioned the word claims, what do you see happening on that front? I think the main difference between the U.S. and the EU, with the EU, the the whole of the society is more, okay, you have a claim and you have substantiation and so it's good to go. For the U.S., even if you have claim substantiation, you have a testing to prove what you're saying your claim is true, we are a very litigious society. So you will still have those people that, okay, you claim to instantly moisturize my skin. And it didn't instantly, in my opinion, moisturize my skin. So I'm going to have a lawyer write a letter to you to sue you for misrepresenting your products to me. So you still have those, especially in that wonderful state of California, where they have their, again, their own little set of false advertising laws. So you have to be aware of. So, I mean, for the majority of consumers, if you are truthful in your advertising, if you're truthful in your claims, and you have the testing to back it up, and testing from of your final formula, not just testing or ingredient literature to back up your claims. You should be testing to prove that your formula does what you say it does. Absolutely. So one other piece of this, and you talked a bit about the state legislations and how states have their different requirements, and this is something that we struggle with in the U.S., as far as how do we develop and label our products correctly, knowing that Massachusetts is slightly different than California and not end up with 15 different SKUs of the same product to meet all the state regulations. Is there a couple of best practices that you have for how brands can tackle state and federal regulations? Yes, that has been the ongoing question because of there's so many different requirements and states got to have to realize that you know, their brands are marketing and selling product, not just to stay in California, not just to stay in Washington. Everybody has to come together. And I think the end of the day, the essence of this and the spirit of it is to, you know, be more conscious of our environment, to not put things on landfills that cannot be recycled and just reduce our use on plastics and such. There are so many things talked about, there's these bills that's coming down the pipe. There's not anything firm as far as labeling is concerned. So, but a lot of people are doing kind of their own little thing with the chasing arrows and things like that. My one recommendation to our clients is at this point, the best you could do is clearly identify the materials that's on your packaging and maybe have a statement that indicates, please recycle or please check your local municipality for recycling requirements on how to recycle. Because not even the state to state, city to city is different as far as how you recycle your products. And that brings up a great point about bringing things to you for you to put your eyes on it or for some regulatory consultant to put their eyes on it. Is that part of the best practice to you is if you're sitting with a brand right now and you either haven't done it recently or you haven't done it at all, is the best recommendation, hey, give us your artwork and let us take a first pass at your IL and your artwork and give you some feedback on it. Would that be kind of the very first step brands might take? Yes, definitely. Because there's just so many things from both the state and the federal level 
of ingredient requirements that a lot of it is not just the core ingredients, the base ingredients, it's some of the impurities that they may be carrying, which you don't know because you don't know the process of how that ingredient was made. Biggest one, of course, is the foxylated ingredients with the uh, 1,4-dioxane residuals. So unless you have that information from your suppliers and all that stuff, then you really need to have someone take a look at your formula for your ingredients to make it, identify those detoxylated ingredients for you so you can ask those questions. And also from the claim standpoint, look at it, make sure that you're not crossing over from the cosmetic side to the drug side to make sure that your claims are within those categories. Mo, thank you so much for walking us through in greater detail and giving us examples for not only MOCRA, but some of these other regulations. The recycling piece is really big. I hadn't actually thought about that. So that's one of my big takeaways from the conversation. So thank you. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or with Steinberg Associates, how can they go about reaching you? They can send me an email to mo at steinbergandassociate.com. We are also do have a Facebook page and those e-blast communications that we talked about earlier are posted on our Facebook page. So they're welcome to go there and take a look at the information we provide to our clients. And then there's also the contact information on the website as well. Thank you so much, Mo. You provide a great service to our industry and we really thank you for that. We'd like to thank you for being on the show. And if you wanna keep buzzing with us, head on over to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.